Say, I'm thankful for our worship team. I am just so thankful for them. Man, I'll tell you what. Sometimes I forget I get lost in the worship. I'm like, oh, I got to get up and speak. I like that when I when when that happens. Um, we're, we're so glad that you're here today, and um, we've been in a series um, looking at the great grace of God. And and I and I think if there if there's something that we need in our world today, right now, as I speak, it's grace. I, I think people are looking for that grace. Um, I, I think we need grace. I think we need to understand the. Uh, the, the deepness of God's grace towards us that, that we don't deserve. And, and we're, we're methodically going through how we can U-turn our lives from our natural reaction to react a certain way in certain circumstances where we know it's not productive. We know it's not God glorifying. And how we can take that U-turn in our life and switch from the things I used to do, the way I used to react, to now I want to react in God's grace, this grace that saved me, and then begin to live this in my relationships, in the world that we live in today. And and I know for me, I'm just going to speak to Barden this morning. I know for me, it's so much easier to judge. Is anybody with me there? it's, It's much easier to jump to conclusions. It's much easier to react with, with anger. It's much easier to do things because I know the proclivity of my heart is to, is to, is to jump to those things. Some, something in me gets violated or something within me uh, gets offended. And, and, I, and I, I forget about the cross. I forget about the cross of Christ so easily in my life. I'm so fleshly sometimes and so worldly at times in the way I think. And I know for me in my life, I just need a constant dose and a constant reminder of the grace that I've been saved by and that that grace has to be applied into our relationships as we live out the truth of God and as we live out what God's word says. How many know we have to, it has to be enveloped in the grace by which we're saved by. I think we can, I think we can understand in a way that, um, yeah, I understand this grace that I'm saved by. I understand, um, that I don't deserve it. And if you've been following Jesus for any amount of times, you can understand it's, it's that grace that I'm saved in, not by my works. There's, there's nothing I bring to the table. It's all done by God and God alone to reconcile my relationship back to God through Christ Jesus. But then the hard part is living it, right? It's, it's, it's one thing when you learn it. It's another thing when you have to live it or when you're confronted uh, with the situation in your life where you have to offer this grace, the same grace that you're saved by. And that's where I think it, it becomes very difficult for us as, as believers. Um, Kathleen and I were in the store a couple months ago and um, it, it was a store that has like coupons, like you can use coupons and, and sell, you know, can you use a coupon with the sale items or not or whatever. And, and we were in the store and I just heard this like yelling at one of the registers and there was someone that was there and they were like, well, what do you mean I can't use my coupon? And then, and then I was kind of over to the side cause it was kind of getting loud. The, the customer was getting really loud with the sales clerk and, and she's saying, well, you can't use the, what the coupon says. You read the, the fine print. You know, you can't use it on sale items. You can only use it on this, but you know, but she, well, I don't care. I was still, you know, and just got in this huge argument. And then she just started berating the, the sales. I mean, it, it got, it, it was starting to get escalated. I'm like, man, someone's going to start calling, you know, security pretty soon here. And the lady was, and, the, and this, finally the sales clerk just loses it. She goes, I can't take it anymore. I'm so sick of this. I'm sick of people like you. She took the clothes, threw it in her face and she goes, I quit. And she walked out. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> you know what? 
I wish someone would do that. I just wish someone would just, I just want to see if you guys were paying attention. But no, the, 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 <laughs> the, the sales clerk just took it. And I, I remember walking by and she just, as the woman left with her coupons, as she left, um, the sales clerk just had, she was trying to hold back the tears. And she just had tears r- rolling down her face, you know. And I'm like, man, we're just angry. For, we're just angry. And in fact, there was a study that was done that says, progressively, we are getting more and more angry. They said, we are 50% more angry than we were last year. You don't have to even watch the news or what goes on in social media to know that. Can, can we all agree? We're kind of angry. We're just, we're on edge here. Everything's setting people off and you, you don't have to be in your car more than 10 minutes or on social media more than 10 minutes to realize that simply people are angry. And so what I want to deal with today in God's grace is how do we, how do we turn our anger and our frustration to God's grace? Um, I, I think when, I know when Jesus walked the earth, could there have been a lot of things that Jesus could have been very upset and angry about? Of course, there, there, there could, could have been. And, and I, I don't, unless we get a correct understanding of Jesus and his character and who, and who he is and, and what he came to do, it's going to be very difficult for us to live in this world because there's so many things that are going to, they're going to set us off. And there are so many trigger points. And, and every single one of us has a trigger point. There's something that triggers you to get upset. For, for everyone, it's, it's, it's different. But every single one, if we're just honest with ourselves, every single one of us has some type of trigger point, And we need to understand what's going on. What's going on? And, 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 it, and, and so I want to lay some groundwork and some understanding of ourselves. And, and so what... The question I'm going to ask you is, what is at the heart of our anger? What's at the heart of our anger? Is it, is it all these other things that are going on in our world? Really, what is at the heart of the, at, at anger? And this is what's at the heart of anger. At the heart of anger lies our desire to have things our way. Can I get an amen? Can we get a consensus? All in favor that that statement is true? Say aye. Okay, all opposed, you, so ordered. Okay, so you're, 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 you're voted out of that. Okay, so we, we understand the heart of anger really lies the desire to have things our way. And the word of God directly speaks that. So I, I want to look at James, who is the, the brother of Jesus. And just, I love the book of James. And, and, and in fact, I'm looking at a future series of just going through the book of James again, because it's such a practical book on how to live out an authentic Christian life in our world. So in our future sermon series, we're going to go through the whole book of James. But, but James speaks so practically to what is really going on in our lives. He just kind of exposes it. And this is what James says in James 4.1. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So, so what, what's the, what's, what is causing the fights? What's, what's causing the quarrels? What's causing animosity between people and relationships and what we see in the world? What James says, he goes, he points out that, that isn't it your own passions at, at, what's at war within you? So we need to understand what, what does this word passion mean? Because um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a Greek word. The Greek word for passion or desire um, is where we get our English word for hedonism. And, and basically, hedon, hedonism is just this. Hedonism is the philosophy that the chief goal in life is pursuing pleasure. Now, 
we live in a society that pursues pleasure, don't we? We have it, what? Your way, right? It, it, it's, it's, it really revolves around me taking care of me. So we, we live in this society that really we're trained to do things that pleasure me. I want things done yesterday. I don't, I don't like the microwave because it's too slow. I wish they made a faster microwave, right? We want things done yesterday. So we really, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, we live, we live in a side that really, really caters to us. And, and what, what creates, it creates this desire of entitlement with us. So the woman that comes in with the coupon, I deserve as a coupon, whether or not she didn't understand what the coupon is. I'm entitled to this. I'm entitled to yell at the clerk. There's this sense of entitlement that, that everything revolves around us. So, so really, James really points this out. And so basically what hedonism is, it's basically whatever makes me feel good. So ultimately, we're fighting against this, this idea of, of pleasures. We have this passion, these pleasures residing within us, and, 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 they, and they push us to constantly take care of us. And so... This is the battle that James says. The battle is the passions within us want to override the will of God in our lives. So the passions within us, what they want to do is override the will of God. So, so there's the battle. So, so James says there's a battle going on. Just because you came to Christ and you gave your life to Jesus doesn't mean you're never going to have another desire or passion or, or you're not going to battle in your life. How many know as, as you walk in your Christian life, it's a battle. You're fighting against my pleasures and my wants and my desires in the world with what God wants. And so there's this, there's this choice that I now can say, I, I, I want to obey the Lord. I want to obey God's will in my life. So if anyone tells you that being a Christian is easy, just punch them in the face, okay? Because it's not true. It's not true. It's, it's going to be the most difficult thing you ever did. Because why? Because you're going to be fighting against yourself. The biggest battle in your life is not what goes on in the world, but what's going on inside of you. That's what James is saying. Until we get to that point, you're going to constantly be frustrated in your life. It's always going to be someone else's fault. And so James gets right to the bottom of the issue here. And so it's all about taking care of me. So that, that's the battle. So when someone comes against our pleasure, we will act out. So what James is saying, it's someone, the reason why there's a, 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 this quarrel, this fighting within you, is, is not necessarily someone else, but someone is getting in the way of our pleasures. Someone's getting in the way of making me feel good. And I want to feel good. I want to use my coupon all the time, okay? You can't tell me I can't use my coupon. <sighs> Jesus help us, okay? So here, here, the heart of anger is not someone else. It's not someone else's fault. At, at the heart of anger and quarreling that James says is not someone else's fault. It's, it's, it's not the person that cuts you off. It's not the person in front of you in the 10 item line that has 15 items. Because I know you, you count them, Right? You, you count those people that have 15 items and it's a 10 item line. And you, maybe you're the person that tells them, hey, you're five over, pal. Back of the line. It's another line just for you over there, okay? Um, it, it, it's not traffic. It's not your boss. It's, it's not the kids, 
what James says, it's within us, it's our passions, it's the desire within us. So when someone gets something that we want, or when someone is making us wait longer than we want, we get angry because it's getting in the way of my pleasure, James says. So this is what we're fighting against. So some things actually can be good desires and good passions, and some can actually be evil. The passion to do well at work or the passion to see the passion and the desire to see your children excel. These are all uh, good things. But what can happen is, is our passions can overcome us if we're not careful. And, and, and even these good desires and good passions can overcome us and they can lead us astray if we're not careful. So, let me give you an example. You know, we want our children, maybe you want your children to do really well at sports to the point where we place these undue expectations on them and we're upset when they don't do well. So what we end up saying is, is that I'm mad at the coach for not playing my child. Okay. So, so even if it's, even if your child stinks, all right, and not very good at this one sport, um, you know, my desire to see my child excel, who do I get mad at? It's not like, hey, I go to the, the, the kids say, hey, you know, improve, work harder, work hard in the off season. Um, do your best. I listened to uh, uh, someone speak one time on a podcast about a, a MLS soccer player who wasn't very good in college. He did okay. He made D1, tried out for professional cap, cap kept getting turned down and he kept working harder and harder until eventually he made it. But he goes, no one, my parents didn't get mad. I had to, I just worked harder. That's all it was. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't entitled to anything. I needed to, to, to work harder. And sometimes our passions lead us astray. And so instead of working with the child to say, maybe this isn't your gifting or work harder, we, we get mad at the coach for not playing our child. So, so why, are, why are we mad or, or why are we angry? Because the coach is getting in the way of our pleasure to see my child play. And those of you that are parents and your kids are in sports, you can see this a lot on the sidelines. If my child is not excelling, it's getting in the way of my pleasure to feel good about me as a parent. Everybody say, ouch, that's an ouch moment. Okay. It's just realistic. Okay. So if we're not careful, we can justify our anger by others. You did this to me. They didn't act right. If you didn't push my buttons. So I want you to understand that the Bible says that we should never be angry or there should never should be things that shouldn't bother us. There are things in this world that should bother us, but it's how we handle those things in the right way. In fact, there's a story of Jesus getting upset and flipping tables over in the temple. Matthew records this for us in Matthew 21. It says Jesus enters the temple and what does he do? He begins to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of of those selling doves. And he said to them, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. So what's going on here? What, what caused Jesus to see this and react the way he did? Well, here's, here, here's what's going on in this story. Jesus didn't like people getting taken advantage of. And they were, they were taking advantage of people in the temple 
And crowding out those where they were doing the buying and selling were in the areas where the Gentiles would come and worship, but there's no place to worship. It's just so much clamor and stuff going on. And they misused this area because they didn't care about those particular people where they would worship. And so they turned to this place of buying and selling, which they would need to make a, a, an offering in, in the temple. But they used to not do it in the temple. They used to do it in other areas, and people would bring their sacrifices in. But for the, for the sake of convenience, they did it, and they just override the Gentiles that would come, and that was the only place they could worship in the temple. And so Jesus saw this. And that's why Jesus says, listen, this, my temple will be called the house of prayer. And really for all nations, for all who would come. So for those that were the outcast, this was their place to worship. Um, and there wasn't a place for them. And Jesus said, this is wrong. And so Jesus made a statement by turning over the tables of the money changers. Now, here, here's where we need to be careful. Um, let's not use Jesus' example for an excuse to rant all the time about everything. Or like, well, the reason why I rant online and the reason why I do all this stuff is because, well, you know, I'm, I'm mad about this. And, you know, Jesus turned over tables. And uh, so this is my excuse just to yell and scream all the time. Let, let, let's be careful here because uh, let's be honest. Our anger most of the time is not for injustice standpoint, but from a pleasure standpoint. Someone's getting in the way of my pleasure, so I'm going to use this scripture as an excuse to rant and rave and be angry. And that's not the point. It's the wrong way to deal with anger. And we, we all deal with anger in different ways. It may be an outburst, it may be, and it may be more passive aggressive. And, and I, I believe most of us um, deal with anger in a passive aggressive way. So let me, let me explain, if you don't under, know what passive-aggressive means, let me explain this. Because this anger is, is not as easy to detect. It's, it's, it's not maybe confronting someone directly, but it's doing something to someone that is more indirect. There's a Chinese proverb that says, behind the smile is a hidden knife. So that, that's kind of, kind of the way it is. There, there, it's that passive-aggressive uh, expression uh, that hides my hostility. So, so what are the, some of the characteristics, characteristics of a passive-aggressive behavior? See, see if some of these might stick or, or if you've not have been passive-aggressive in your past. Maybe you are right now in, in the way you're acting. So let, let, let's, let's, let's look at this. First of all, the silent treatment. None of us have ever used this before, right? None of us have ever used the silent treatment. See, we've all used the silent treatment, especially with our spouses um, and, and, and how well did that technique work for you? Not so well, right? The, the, the passive-aggressive silent treatment is, is ignoring someone, maybe when they walk by or that, they're ups, you know, that I'm upset with. It, may be, uh, it might be in a meeting when someone ignores your comments or accidental, accidentally doesn't acknowledge you. It might be simply ignoring someone's emails, phone calls, text messages. And by doing so, it's sending this subtle message that you're upset with them, punishing them with the silent treatment. Okay, that's one way that we might deal with our anger. It's also done through like subtle insults. Um, now, we all know when someone directly insults us, that's obvious. But then there's these subtle insults, a passive-aggressive way, um, where, where it may be much more subtle. It's like someone may say, man, this is you know, a really uh, great church, but you know what? The preaching at the other church was a little bit better. Okay, or or this is a great church, but the coffee at this other church is really good. Coffee's good here, but the other church really 
is good. Or, or um, I, I really enjoyed your church, but I'm really used to bigger ones. Okay, that's it. By the way, no one has said this to me directly. No, I'm just, no, no, I'm just saying, okay? So, um, you know, you, they, someone may say, you know, you have a really nice house, and, 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 but, but how do you like the neighborhood? I heard that there's a lot of crime in this area. Okay, those are, <laughs> those are just subtle put-downs, right? Or, or, or the, I love this one. Hey, I really like your hair. I had a haircut style just like that in college, right? <laughs> so you're walking away going, you know, was that a compliment or, or an insult, right? So these are, these are subtle insults, passive-aggressive. Or, or what about the cold shoulder? Uh, passive-aggressive behavior can be seen and not engaging with others, maybe uh, checking your phone in the middle of a conversation, looking at your phone in a meeting when someone's talking, or walking by someone uh, without acknowledging them. You purposely just walk by them without acknowledging them. That's just the cold shoulder. That's just a passive-aggressive way of, of dealing with their anger. Or what about personal sabotage? Now, this is, this is passive-aggressive behavior that's maybe more overt. It's sabotaging someone's character or making them look bad, purposely maybe keeping them out of the loop or not including them in an email. Um, and then the last one here is the, is the keeping score one. This is where, well, you didn't come to my birthday, then I'm not going to your baby shower. Or, uh, you know, we can jump to this conclusion without ever confronting the person and, and, and without ever finding the, out really what the reason is. So we're going to get back at them by not doing something that's on their turf. See, see we, we're angry in many times. And, and, and whether or not we, whether or not we, we don't deal with our anger overtly and just yelling and screaming and you can't use my coupon or it, it many ways it's this passive aggressive way that we deal with our anger and all of it is unhealthy. All of it is keeping uh, this stuff inside and not allowing God to deal with this by his grace. We're, we're angry. We, you can see it on social media. You know, it's just when we write all in caps, I went to, or we use these type of emojis, right? Online, how many, if you've ever used any of these emojis, you might be angry, okay? Um, you know, we just, we're, we're angry. So, so here's the question. Why are we so angry? Why do we fly off the handle? And how do we, how do we correctly deal with our anger, not in a, in a, in a, in a passive, aggressive way? So, so how can we turn this around from unhealthy anger or this pent up anger where we never deal with it. And then it, and then eventually it comes out like a volcano or our passive aggressive anger where it's done in a more covert way. So how do we correctly handle wrong desires within us? Well, there's good news. There's good news in God's word because James says it so well in the first chapter of James, how we are to deal with this. And this is what James says. He says, understand this, dear brothers and sisters, that you must all be quick to get angry and to fly off the handle. What does he say? Quick to do what? Quick to listen and slow to what? Let's just stop a moment and think about that (laughs) because this is hard for us. Because when, when we're offended or someone gets in the way of our passions or our desires, the first thing we want to do is defend ourselves. And what begins to happen in, in, when we communicate with each other, when, when someone uh, violates our passions or our desires and gets in the way of those things, it's interesting how we feel like we're going to be heard by the volume of our voice. 
So the louder our voice gets, we think, the more we're going to be heard. And what happens is we automatically shut the other person down. So whether it's a confrontation with someone out in the world or whether it's, it's a confrontation that you have with a family member or a spouse, how many of you know the minute that happens, either one person completely shuts down and, and just plugs their ears and, and nothing goes any further or that thing begins to escalate? We got real quiet in here. Am I right? See, and, that, and that's what happens. In there, and, and, and what James is saying, here's how you deal with that. Instead of being quick to let your voice be heard, instead of being quick to get anger, just listen for a moment and be slow to speak. Understand what's going on. And, and that's a way that we, we, we really check the motives of our heart and allow God to deal with us and, and give him these. And, and it, listen, our, our desires or, or where we may have been wrong may be, might be rightly so. Maybe someone ripped you off, obviously ripped you off, and you have every right just to lay into that person. But here's where, let's get an understanding first here and allow the Holy Spirit to check our motives and the Holy Spirit to check our anger before we just yell off. Because listen, am I correct in saying that we have so many different avenues that we can blurt our anger from now? Man, every single one of us, man, listen, I'm not the only one with a pulpit anymore. The pastor's not the only one with a soapbox. Guess what? Every single one of us have a soapbox now because of social media. And so this is where we really just got to just guard our hearts and, and, and let the Holy Spirit uh, wash our hearts in these ways. So he says, listen, be, be, if you're going to be quick to do something, be quick to listen. And if you're going to be slow somewhere, be slow what? To speak. And, and, and slow to what? Get angry. And so human anger does not produce the righteousness, what? That God desires. It's not producing the righteousness that God desires. So here's the thing. The correct way to handle anger is to stop and listen and let God speak. The correct way to handle anger, and, and maybe even a passive-aggressive way, is, is to stop and listen and let God speak. See, it is where, this is where it gets complicated because the, deto- the default is my pleasure and not grace. My default of my heart is to throttle the coach without first thinking and understanding that they might have a really difficult job, that they might be under a lot of pressure. Um, I remember many, many, many years ago, someone came in and, and just had some was really upset about some of the changes that we made in the church and they had a list of everything going on and they were just really just, and, um, finally I just looked at this person. I said, um, are you praying for me? I mean, I understood all their concerns and, and I'm not saying that any of the concerns were valid for them, but it was just changes that we made. It was nothing personally against them, but it was just changes that we, that we made as, as leadership decisions that we made. And this person was just very upset about them and they, had all their concerns well written out, and I tried to listen to them. And finally, I just felt like saying, do you pray for me? And you know what they said? They said, no. And they said, I'm sorry. I do need to pray for you. I said, listen, the decisions we make, we never make lightly. We make as a leadership team. And I know that's not going to always please everybody. But the question at the end of the day is, I need you to pray for me. And the person stopped and said, you know what? I'm not praying for you. And it was interesting how the whole conversation 
turned in a different way, they were able to express, um, you know, the things that they were concerned. We were able to talk them out. Now, they may not have still agreed with the decisions, but we understood each other. And we understood each other's hearts. That, that I wasn't trying to do things or the leadership wasn't trying to, she understood why, and, these, and you still may not a, a agree with them or, or want it done a different way, but that was the choice we made as, as a church. And, and they understood it. And, and, and they, I said, you need to, to pray for us. You need to pray for the leadership of the church as we make decisions. Um, we want to please God in what we do. The, the end result, we have the same vision and the same goal is to see people come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Amen? That, that's our end goal. We both have that same vision. Now, the way we get there and the methods we use might be different than what you prefer. It might be, we might do it in a certain way. But at the end of the day, we, we want to see people come to grow and know Jesus. We, we want to speak God's word. We want to stand on the truth of God's word. These are, all, these are important to both of us. Now, the methods we might use to get there might be different but the end goal is the same that we want to see people come to know jesus as their lord and savior and that whole conversation really took on a different uh, a, 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 a different context and and it actually became a good talk uh, about things that they were concerned with see notice what the passage says it says stop and listen so actually what james is saying is that we are to restrain our speech see someone who always wants to talk will never hear what anyone else is saying. See, at the end of the day, if we're always talking, we will never hear what anyone else is saying. So if, if there's something that you don't understand or something that's going on, I would tell you, biblically, you are to go to that person. What happens, what happens when we allow something to remain in our heart that we're not sure about? suspicion begins to fill that accusations begin to fill that. Have you ever done that where you just like, you're not sure about it, but you haven't talked to the person and you talk to everybody else and you get more riled up, but then you never go really talk to the person and, and understand their heart there. And then it just gets you more riled up. And all of a sudden you talk to the person and it really wasn't what it was. And you're like, man, I wish I would have done this a lot here. I wish I would have done this a lot earlier. Well, that's the biblical thing to do is to talk to that person and understand and listen and hear their heart and understand what's going on. That's the hard part. I, me personally, I would rather just sit and stew, you know, and just let it rile me up and let it simmer, right? Without actually talking to that person. And relationally, that's what we are supposed to do as brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so, so this is what James is reminding us to do is to, to stop and listen and, and to be quick for, for those things that we should be doing, to be quick to listen and slow to speak. So in our need to be right, let's stop and listen to the other person first. So here, here's the thing. If we are harboring anger, what we're doing is we're actually neglecting forgiveness. So if I'm harboring this anger within me, if I'm passive aggressive in the way I'm dealing with somebody or whatever it is, what I'm actually doing is neglecting forgiveness, the very thing that Jesus asks, asks us to do. And so here, here's, here's where I want to land today. And here's where I want us to understand as we, as, as we take time to just take communion and listen to God's uh, voice today in, in our hearts. 
when we're instructed to take communion, um, the apostle Paul tells us to actually examine our hearts. And in the context that um, he talks about, that Paul actually talks about, is in this relationship that the, that the church in Corinth had with one another. Um, there was a lot of disunity within the relationship of the church. And so they were taking communion really in an unworthy manner. They were neglecting other people. And Paul's saying, listen, I, I need to instruct you again on the importance of communion. And when we take communion, what we're actually doing is we're remembering what Christ did for us. So if I'm not careful, I can take communion in an unworthy way. If, if I'm harboring anger in my heart, um, I can take communion in an unworthy way because what I'm doing is, is I'm actually taking something and I'm, I'm believing that Jesus died for me and that is by his grace I'm saved. But in, at the same token, I'm harboring anger. And, and how can I receive God's forgiveness if I'm not able to give God's forgiveness? There's a disconnect there. And so if you have anger within your heart towards somebody, um, that's, that's going to that's gonna disconnect you from actually God's grace flowing through your life. Now, let me, let, me, let me preface this by saying, that doesn't mean that whatever someone has done to you makes it right or we become doormats. It's not what I'm saying. It's, I, I'm not saying that we just allow all these bad... Listen, that's not what I'm saying. But what you do is you release that other person unto the Lord and allow God to deal with them as you pray for them. But what it does is, it, it, it cuts the chain from you being attached to that other person or that anger that keeps you from knowing God's grace in a deeper way. When you're able to make a choice to forgive someone when they don't deserve it, you begin to understand the grace by which you are saved. God begins to reveal that to you in a deeper and a deeper way in real relationships and through struggles. You will never grow in your relationship with Christ unless you there's something that comes against you or unless there's resistance or unless there's a situation that you confront. If everything was peachy king and potpourri and nice smelling in our lives and we never had any resistance, how many know we'd never grow in our relationship with the Lord? We would never have to experience giving grace to someone who doesn't deserve it. But that's not how life works. And so that's why James says, listen, in, in your anger and in your disagreements with one another, here's how we're to act. Here's what's most glorifying to Christ. And so let's remember that the cross, when we come to communion, remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. The cross helps us with our anger because the cross shows us God's grace. And the way God dealt with his anger towards our sin was by allowing his very son to become our atonement and our covering. And so what Jesus does, he becomes that object of God's wrath for us that should have been pointed out to us. Jesus took that on himself. He took our sin upon himself and actually became our substitute that we could receive the righteousness of God. And so none of us deserve that. But that's how God reached out to us. And the only way that we could be made right and the only way that our sins could be covered through Jesus, the perfect son of God, who was God. And his sacrifice appeased the holy, righteous anger of God. That's some, can we all agree that's some pretty serious stuff? 
And so let's, as we come to the table today and as we take communion, um, let's examine our life. And if, if there's someone that you need to forgive, allow that to happen. Um, I want you to stop and listen. Don't be in a rush. Let God speak to you. And so here's the takeaway today. Let, let God speak to you before you confront someone else. Just let, listen. We need to confront each other. That's okay. We shouldn't let things slide. We should, if there's something we don't, we should be able to speak to each other's hearts. But here's what I would tell you. Let God first speak to your heart. Understand where that other person is coming from. Get to know their background a little bit more. And I guarantee you'll probably have a lot more grace when you understand what they're going through and what's happening in their life. That's what it means to be in relationship with one another. So as we come before the Lord today and as we take communion, I want you to bow your hearts with me. And I want us to pray and let God deal with our hearts today. And uh, as we take communion, would you just pray with me? Uh, Father God, we, we just come before you now. And as we, uh, as we take communion, as we partake together as the family of God, communion is about unity. It's about unifying our hearts to Christ and what he has done for us. We're recognizing that it's through the body of Christ that we, uh, that we are nourished. Jesus, you gave everything as, as symbolic of the manna in the wilderness that Israel could not survive in the wilderness without that manna. And Jesus, you are that manna. We cannot survive without you. And your precious blood, which was shed for us, covers our sin and our iniquity. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. We don't merit it. But God, through your grace, you gave us your son. And so I pray today that, God, we would kind of just take some time and, and just inspect our hearts, examine our hearts. And if there's someone that we need to deal with or someone that we need to forgive or someone that we need to talk to, I pray, God, that we would do that in the light of what the passages, these scriptures we have read, that we would do it in love and grace. And, and God, we would allow our relationships to be built in Jesus. And we would be careful in the way we deal with people in the world and the things that we see in our world today. We, we just, we, we pray for our country, we pray for our president, we pray for those in leadership. It's not easy, God, the decisions they have to make. We, we need, uh, they need your wisdom and we need to be praying for them that they would bow before you and that they would listen to you, God, for help and for instruction. And so we need that in our lives. We pray for our, you know, teachers and coaches and, you know, those in authority over us, God. Um, they're not perfect. They're going to make mistakes. But God, ultimately, your word says that you have placed those people in authority over us. And ultimately, Lord, when we listen to them, we're ultimately listening to you, God. So Lord, help us in these things. Just, just do a work in our hearts and examine our hearts as we come before the table today. We thank you. We love you. And we just ask these things in Jesus' wonderful name, in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen.